Hello to everyone tuned into this episode of the Greek Speak podcast. I'm the Archon, creator of GreekSpeak.com, and this is episode six of my talks with my co-host, the Greek. We have yet another hour or so of conversation before us, and I hope to make it as engaging as possible. If you have yet to catch up to speed with previous episodes, you can do that on the podcast page on GreekSpeak.com, where there are free downloads as well. I've decided to retire the live stream chat room, so there won't be any further possibility of posting anything there during streams, but feel free to use the general chat if anyone has any questions about anything GreekSpeak related. And as always, GreekSpeak.com has no political, religious, or commercial affiliations, as it's a personal project that's managed by myself. And that's it for the introduction. Please enjoy the rest of the show, and thanks again for listening. Hi there, Greek. Hi, greetings. How have you been faring since the last stream? Oh, fairly well. You know, you say no political, religious, or whatever affiliations. You want to run, run, run away from those things. Go in the opposite direction. But anyway. No, I, I figured that. I mean, it wouldn't, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind having some financial support, but I'd generate that myself. Yeah, well, the financial support is interesting because, uh, well, you know, it's a credit-based economy. People don't know that. Those that do know get uh, about it get more confused. People who don't know about it are confused nonetheless. So, yeah, food, clothing, and shelter. Indeed. Well, at least for this week, I mean, I think that we'll have ample time to dig into food, clothing, and shelter in, in future episodes. But for this week, we have the topic of science although I'm somewhat limited in that field thanks to my useless secondary school education. It's something that I know the Greek to be quite learned in, so I'm going to perhaps rely a little more than usual on the Greek's capacity for explaining things on this episode, but I'm sure you'll carry that load just fine. So let's start with what the word science actually means and how that word has come to represent something quite embellished and sometimes misleading given its et etymology. Um, it comes from the Latin word scientia, meaning knowledge or expertness, but probably had the original meaning of to separate one thing from another or to distinguish, and then by the 18th century we get the modern sense of the word as referring to knowledge gained from methodical observation of a subject. So, Greek, what does your studies about the history or origins of science reveal to you about its evolutions over the centuries or millennia? Well, again, how the word is being used, like, for example, there's political science, right? Lots of people uh, are offered degrees in that. And, you know, when you say the word science, you think of state of the art and technology and, you know, physical know-how. And we'll get into why physical know-how uh, later. But the uh, the term science, of course, just like any term, is, is used very loosely. And to the, uh, you know, the common pedestrian, it means, uh, you know, usually something they're either intimidated by, have been propagandized to think that they know something about, and also the third part, dare I say, it's become sort of a religion with its adherents and priests and altars to be worshipped and, you know, useless debates and even further, uh, more importantly, useless information. Well, certainly that is the, the modern day landscape of that. But if we look historically, that did take its root from somewhere that, you know, people often uphold as like the golden standard of the inquisitive mind of people that, you know, pondered and looked into things that were hitherto unknown 
We don't know much about that time other than what we have, let's say, written that's been allowed to be published. And I'll say that uh, as a preface. The reason why is, you know, roughly in, let's say, around the 13 to 1500s, the idea of having uh, a centralized uh, ruling body over the entire planet for those, for example, who live in the West, you know, so Columbus discovered America. Well, it's a ridiculous statement on its face. Uh, and it's a ridiculous, even more ridiculous when you research uh, that, that there was any discovery being done as in, in terms of finding something new. The entire world was always known to, let's say, the, those that were interested in the information was there. The term discovery is a legal, dis, uh, a legal term, which means to bring, you know, jurisdiction over. So uh, when you consider the political aspect or the, the aspect to control, let's say, the planet through from a central location... Uh, it had its purpose to, well, control, right? So uh, not only control the, ter- uh, the what they call nations as territories and such, but also control the goings-on. And the first goings-on would be something called industry. So you have industry uh, that, as we know today, that pretty much only can go back as far as that time period, let's say 500 years ago. And what we call science today is based hand-in-hand to promote that form of industry, which is also part of that control system. So what what this really means is if we go prior to that 500-year period, we know very little uh, about what was uh, known because it's just not uh, brought forward. So what we do know is, you know, from a philosophical perspective, from an observational experimental perspective, and again, it always ties into some form of industry. Like, for example, if you look at uh, uh, someone who was talented in many fields like da Vinci, uh, 90% of his work that we know of, other than some art pieces, were all basically commissions by industrialists and bankers. So all of his work that we, you know, glorify him as a scientist, quote-unquote, and there, the, the term scientist is a very recent one, by the way. They were natural philosophers. Uh, th- these things were uh, all based around the industry of the time and going back to 500, 500 years or so. Can we call that a form of cultural censorship? You know, I would agree that that would be a good, pretty accurate term. So what we know now about science uh, is stemming from that industrial cultural censorship that started 500 years ago. And uh, the rest of that would pretty much be going back and pondering what the ancient Egyptians wrote about, the Babylonians, Sumerians, and the Greeks uh, for ancient knowledge of it. And, it, and it, it contrasts very starkly to what people consider to be science today. I hear what you're saying. And yeah, I think that provides us with a good platform moving forward. We'll develop some of those points as, as things go on. Um, when we talk about science, quote-unquote, I think it's worth distinguishing its methodologies like the scientific method from the institutions of science which are managed by academia and oftentimes careerist scientists so on one hand you have an objective mode of inquiry into the natural world and on the other hand you have a collection of disciplines like physics and biology and they make very specific assumptions about how the natural world is constituted um, which amounts to an ideology really that sometimes gets called scientism Um, what has been your experience with this quote-unquote scientism Greek and what kinds of interactions have you had with scientists who have a blind devotion to that? Well, it's a sign of the times, a culture and and society, worldwide society in decline. Uh, These are uh, basically 
these quote-unquote institutions don't do the scientific method. It's all predetermined to pretty much support all of the systems that are in place. Like, for example, people that operate what I call a motorized uh, uh, engine-driven wagon or automobile or car, you know, why are they still burning gas in it at the, almost the same rate of efficiency as 100 years ago? You know, uh, chemical rockets to, you know, and airplanes to go up into the sky. Uh, basically, medicine that is based on battlefield medicine because, you know, the worst thing for an army is an injured uh, <clears throat> injured troop. So, you know, the, the medicine they have is, 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 is subpar also and not changed much. All of the fields are like that. Nutrition, you know, uh, I mean, astrophysics, all this stuff is based on a subpar uh, point of view of maintaining uh, uh, what seems to be progress and really is not, but maintaining the systems that are already in place. My experience with it is it, it, the, the only scientific method that is being performed is someone in their kitchen or someone in their garage or a very, very small lab of, let's say, a multitude of just three people working. But once you go beyond that into what's called corporate or uh, a university study, there is no scientific method. It's all a predetermined result and experiment structured to um, to lead to that result. It's backwards. Now, that's why a, a little backup of this is if you actually take a hint, I, I assure you, go online, which is your easiest uh, way to access a lot of current information, and I assure you 99.99999% of all the new research, if you look at the authors and where it's being done, it's being done in some undergraduate or graduate college lab with a bunch of snotty 18, 19, or 20-year-olds basically don't know anything. They, they're still wet in the crotch, right? And uh, uh, they don't know anything. And this is what they're putting forward. I mean, this is ridiculous. And when you look at a lot of their experiments, it's a bunch of like acrylic, roughly cut and glued together with silicone. I mean, it's just, they're just mocking society, you know? So, and, and the people love it. You know, they, the, uh, uh, that's why there's no, you know, Barnum and Bailey Circus. The circus here in America, well, it, it no longer exists because you have these these scientific morons to do it for you. Uh, but people don't see it as such. And just like any religion, uh, the people just do it because it's it's what everyone else does. They don't question it. Again, there the only from my experience, the only real science that's being done is on the on the individual level. Someone who has a, um, a, a discrete desire in a particular discrete field and does it on their own. You're not going to get anything from a, any establishment anymore. There, what you will get from the establishment, uh, those who have done all the grunt work, is basically a lot of reference material. You know, you want the melting point of this or the boiling point of that or, you know, what certain, you know, basic parameters are and that's it, pretty much a reference manuals. But the rest of it is pretty much junk and, you know, most people are confused about industrialization and miniaturization as being scientific, and it's not. You know, most of the devices today that seem to do a lot more than they did years ago or operate in a higher level of efficiency in some cases are is mistaken as the progress of science, and it's not. It is actually the implementation of uh, advanced uh, miniaturization. So, again, um, it's nothing specific to the field of quote-unquote science or learning what you know uh, things that we associate with science are but it's actually the state of a society in decline a worldwide society in decline if you're going to view it from a personal you know experiential perspective i mean there certainly is a lot that one has to reconcile to assimilate what you just said because 
people judge with their eyes and when they look around and they look at the society that seemingly seems to be filled with technological marvels it doesn't compute that science has not provided that so if you go into any establishment and make the claims that you're saying they're going to point to the society around you and say well how would you like it if we didn't have all these things well uh because we do it's a, it's it's not a matter of of if we didn't have all these things because we do right so um there there's a lot of you know other uh, allegory about that you know if well what if this and what if that no it's just what is uh, and what we do have is just wasteful you know at, at this rate uh, in less than maybe a few two or three or four generations a good portion of usable land will be landfill because it's still a throwaway planned obsolescence industrial uh, aspect and the motive again is profit and the in the, the irony and the paradox here is there is no money so how can there be a profit so if there is no money and there really is no profit because it's all private credit it's about just um, a society in decline it's very simple now uh, when most things uh, go into a state of decline or right up to the precipice where they will decline are usually at a maximum point like if you let uh, an inflated balloon out into the room uh, by opening, you know, uh, creating an orifice that the air can come out. You'll notice it when it's fully inflated, it just buzzes around the room real slow. But as it comes to the point where it's going to be completely deflated and use and, and fall to the floor, it starts moving faster and faster and it's louder and louder. If you look at uh, any aspect of industry or any industry in the past that has that is no longer around, let's say, well, well when we're recording this podcast, you'll see that it reached its peak right before its decline. And, and I'm suggesting here that society is at a, a certain peak, and they are, uh, w within the system that uh, exists. Uh, because if you actually, just to go back to you know the topic, if you actually look at what they're putting forward as science, it's actually all theory. Very little of it is purported to be fact, uh, other than reference materials. And even a lot of the reference materials are spurious meaning that they're subject to change but but generally the 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 aspect of everything being a theory and then if you look at uh, the theories they're just uh, patently ridiculous you know like everything being a particle you know even magnets have particles uh, that that create uh, quote unquote uh, attraction and repulsion and light is a particle you know photon which i like to spell f a u x t o n for those that understand the French word, F-A-U-X. Anyway, this is patently ridiculous what they're putting in front of uh, uh, as being the uh, sci you know, science in the scientific community. And there's much to speak about. There's a lot of uh, criticism. And I don't mean to, for this to be a strictly critical podcast of it because it's, it's – put it this way. It's so – what I see as being scientific is so worthless these days that it's not even worth criticizing just sweep it to the side if you want to learn about uh, how to criticize what they're putting out as being patently ridiculous and obscene and untrue there's plenty of stuff on the internet you could research maybe we want, might want to lay down a little bit more of what is really going on uh, that uh, you don't need a special lab or a special training and you could actually see with your own eye and prove as being reality as part of what people call science Yes, we will certainly look at specific concepts um, later on in the stream. But just to stick with the historic aspect a little bit, I think that um, through the process of what became known as the scientific revolution in the 16th and the 17th centuries, you had science becoming one of the pillars of the modern age. But I'm curious as to how that came to pass, given that every movement has its detractors 
and I don't think that the these sort of irrationalities that you speak of that are present in the dogmas of scientism would have gone ignored at that time. So on one hand, you have the sort of typical Galileo, René Descartes, and Darwin's whose theories about things like empiricism or evolution became canonized, but you also had the romantic poets and the natural philosophers of that time, like William Woodsworth, for example, who opposed those things, and we don't really hear a lot about them. What do you know about the pushback that the scientific revolution received? Oh, they had no choice. I mean, there were riots. Uh, there were small, I would say minor, and I would say major riots in many uh, urban environments when things like evolution and particle physics and later on, you know, quantum was brought out. But that the, these people who were, you know, the Descartes or even Newton to a certain degree and uh, all the way through, let's say, the late 19th century Tesla, uh, you know, if you look up what Tesla had to say about Einstein, and this is, I know, not the 16th or 17th century, but the, you have to realize that their opposition means nothing because they weren't the ones funding and putting the, the power behind the, or the drive behind the research. Once the, it, those that are funding them, let's say, or the powers that their political powers are working under decide that they're going to put in place a ridiculous system, you know, like evolution or whatever. And evolution is not new. That, that goes back to ancient Egypt where the pharaohs uh, was written. There are still writings uh, found uh, that the pharaohs told the people they evolved from slime from the Nile. There's nothing new about that. It's actually uh, internally known by certain secret societies. That's what you tell the people as a prank. But but here's the the interesting uh, aspect about this this whole thing about science is it and it's not about uh, what I'm going to say now which I started with it's all political. In other words, uh, most of the people uh, look for example, there are people and this is why there's psychology and psychiatry. There are people who have made incredible discoveries and uh, were were uh, stunted and prevented from developing them through quote unquote psychiatry and psychology and propaganda, right? There's lots of evidence of that. Anyone could look up the, uh, 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 but before I give references, which I don't think that's the point, uh, just think of this as a cognitive point of view, that uh, there are more systems put in place under the name of science, and which is really scientism, uh, to thwart development of the field in its natural reality versus its theoretical uh, aspect. So uh, going back to the 16th and 17th century, we're looking at a mercantile system that was still uh, usually and generally pre-power-driven uh, ship, right? There was uh, very little, if none, uh, air travel, airship. There were airships back then and not just hot air balloons. My point here is that uh, the mercantile system reflected the progress allowed uh, to the scientific community. When, the, when it was time to change the mercantile system, it was time to change the scientific community. And when it was time to uh, seriously embed and solidify a certain mercantile system, then the science was changed to the point where no one can apply that new science to produce anything new because it was so ridiculous. And that left a mercantile system or an industrial system as you have today in place unchanged. If you look at what they call the automobile, the jet airplane, electricity as it's used, it, this, you know, in the past hundred years. So again, it, you know, we're, we're trying to have a podcast uh, or a discussion about 
science and you cannot avoid through the ages especially from 500 years on that it is hand in hand and interlaced and interlinked and controlled by the political interests or the power interests the oligarchs and you know the secret rulers of the world they're the ones that decide what's put out just like they decide which religion stays or goes which religion is supported and so on and so forth right and 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 it has to also be custom tailored to each culture so, you know, you'll have certain cultures that are more advanced technologically. Like, for example, the uh, Japanese and Germans all throughout history have been very advanced. In the, it's part of their culture to be advanced in, in mechanization and research and things like that. And then, for example, if you go to the African continent down by the southern part of the continent, there's a whole grouping of countries there that if you even go there today, they're living almost identical to how they were 2,000 years ago. So it's also a cultural aspect you have to examine. Hmm. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I'd never given that too much thought, but I see what you mean. Right. So it's 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 not it's very difficult to answer a question within the topic about the topic because there are so many external influences that that pose um, uh, the direction of science uh, into a certain posture that uh, no one admits is is acting upon what we what is called the body of work as science but it is notably there you see and that is the political quote unquote money control power and military and industrial interests always in control of what and this is exactly what the public is shown is what we're discussing we're not discussing specifics now because i can give like an example anyone can look up there was a nimza group NYMZA, it was a group of Prussians, uh, Germans, let's say, uh, from the late 1700s to the late 1890s uh, that worked on uh, aerospace in the Sonora region of California. They didn't do it in Europe. They came here to do it in America, let's say. And they had airships that uh, flew at 100 to 300 miles per hour against the wind, and they were not hot air balloons. And this is uh, going on over 200 years ago, right? Abraham Lincoln was given a demonstration of this, and he, he said publicly, no, publicly. So we're, we're speaking on uh, the general cultural science that people understand, and then maybe we'll speak on the real science. You know, uh, there, there have been, uh, quote-unquote, inventors, developers, researchers uh, throughout all time have developed things that even now would be difficult to imagine for that time. And that is another discussion, or maybe we can sort of integrate that uh, uh, into what we're discussing about science. And again, why aren't these things, you know, why aren't we, we told about, quote unquote, anti-gravity propulsion from the early 1800s now? It, it exists. It's very easy to evidence this, right? Everyone thinks, oh, hot air balloons and the Wright brothers, you know, came later. And oh, it's baloney. It's funny, the one of the people in the NIMSA group, I've found some notes from the 1850s and uh, late uh, 1800s or early 19th, uh, 20th century, they called airplanes sky lubricators. I thought that was really funny. And, and the reason why they call that, I'm presuming, is because they're full of oil, you know. The airplanes, you know, they use oil-driven, petroleum-driven. So obviously they're going to be leaking oil and exhaust, and they were lubricating the sky. That's all they did. They always poked fun at that stuff, right? So, yeah, there's, you know, there's... Uh, uh, an aspect to uh, 
Are we going to discuss, you know, the real physicality of our existence and, you know, uh, non-physicality, which also is, affects, uh, actually predominant and, and uh, primary to the physical? Uh, or we can discuss, you know, more of what people think is science, which is absolute rubbish. And I see absolute rubbish because if you don't believe that, you're still using inefficient things in your house and uh, in what's called a car, an airplane. It's all junk. Uh, rocket science is junk. That's thousand-year-old technology, and you're just, you know, because it's a culture in decline. Hmm. So let's look at the, the, the idea of the scientist. Today's definition of a scientist, as you've sort of mentioned, was uncommon until a few hundred years ago, you know, the 19th century probably. Prior to that point, you had natural philosophers as the ones who were striving to understand the physical world. Um, and if you go back even further to ancient Greece and Rome, I believe the word used is the physicus for someone who was doing that. Um, yeah. So you have a book by a guy called Ant Antisthenes, which is called Physicus, and they translate it as natural philosophy accordingly. What do you know about the role of that that character and how they conceptualized the world at that time? Well, they came. From, it depends on which school. I'm not very familiar with that particular one, but there were various schools that were even pre-Pythagorean. Um, uh, you know, if you look at the entire grouping, the famous Greek philosophers, if you go back to the the older ones, you know, you had the ones that said, well, everything came from water. Then you had other ones that said, well, everything came from the ether. Right? Then you had another one that said everything came from duality. Right. And then another one that said that everything is a representation of something in a heavenly realm, more platonic, let's say. Right. So uh, there are various schools. Are, are, are they're Actually, they're all right and they're all wrong. See, when you say something um, like everything came from water, which I tend to believe in a very strong sense, because when you start researching with water, you'll see that you can create anything in water, pretty much, and I mean that, and also how water is created uh, during a thunderstorm. It doesn't come out of the air or out of the cloud. It's a very easy thing to postulate and uh, lead a good experimentation on. But I wouldn't say that it's strictly so, because, uh, you know, we haven't taken it to, to the realm where we could prove that. But I would say that uh, all of them are correct in some aspect, and all of them are incorrect in the aspects that we've been shown. I would say that um, when you say physics, or phys, the Greek word is physis, uh, not, not as the way it sounds like the English word, but it means nature. And what is nature? I mean, again, you know, we could play around with the neters. The word nature comes from neter, which just means God in Egypt, in Egyptian, uh, ancient Egyptian, uh, not the modern Ar Arabic. So <clears throat> I would say that uh, to, to, to go back uh, into those days is to see not just from a philosophical standpoint what they brought, uh, what is brought forward to our time now is, uh, but what experimental or strictly um, uh, directly, let's, let's say, what directly relates to what we can perceive now, because a lot of the philosophers were making um, just allegory and points that you know were were um, analogies and and uh, you know ways to perceive things. But did they have anything that is experimental? See, the the experimentation is paramount in the scientific method, right? So anyone could look up what the scientific method is, and uh, it it. it it requires experimentation and repeatability. And again, that because of that, it's very easy to prevent in a society that is in its downward stages for that to take hold, right? Because in other, in other words, to do good science now, 
you're going to have to do experiments and have repeatability. And because of the way technology and communication works now, that could be nipped in the bud very easily by restricting access uh, to things to experiment with. And also, um, com when people communicate what they're doing, it'll be intercepted. And of course, if any group tries to form, it's shut down. First, they you know ridiculed and then shut down. So again, it's not happy times from that perspective. Uh, this was also going on in ancient Greece, by the way, if you brought up the Greek philosopher. There was a lot of suppression. I had seen a document once where uh, there was a, uh, an, a, it was basically a, a, an unfinished or a partial uh, script about someone who had uh, um, been arrested by the uh, Athenian authorities because uh, the markets would not um, function when he came out. And they didn't have refrigeration, so if you're a fisherman or whatever or had meat, you know, it would spoil. So the, the, uh, all the merchants got together and uh, pressed the government there, the policing authorities, to arrest this man. Because whenever he came out, he, uh, the markets would shut down and all this merchandise had to be thrown away. It turns out that he had a horseless wagon with uh, thunder and lightning and uh, coming out of it and smoke. He would uh, bring out this device, which was a horseless carriage. And it had a, a spiritokuti, which means a firebox on it, where smoke and thunder and lightning came out of it and a lot of smoke and it made a lot of noise and the people wouldn't leave their homes to go to market. So they had to arrest this guy because the markets were shutting down because of this guy, right? Oh, so he was scaring this, people away. Yeah, he was scaring people away, yeah. And this is about uh, 150 BC, 200 BC. Hmm, so. very curious. Yeah, yeah, this, it's not on the internet. This was at a university library I used to frequent and... They said, look, we got some interesting stuff here. We found in a garbage dump in Libya. You know, <laughs> landfills. Yeah, Libya was a, it was a Greek and then uh, Italian colony. You know, people don't know that Libya was an Italian colony up until the 1950s, right? So what's interesting is, uh, you know, it was found in a landfill. You know, I was actually having a discussion with someone this morning. If you have a landfill and you press something down hard enough and it's anaerobic and stable temperature, it will not decay even if it's paper. And it just will not decay. Thousands of years will go by. So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, uh, so, it, it, in other words, what I just gave a story of was a form of suppression from 200 BC in the Greek society, right? And this is a, a single example of many. Uh, yes, there is suppression, but it's not suppression for the sake of developing something new and advanced. Uh, it's the sake of, uh, suppression for the sake of it disturbing uh, what's in place. Change is the enemy of the oligarch. In other words, the small group of people that own the planet, yes, you heard me right, and they did it legally, just like people say, oh, that's, is that legal or illegal? Who cares if it's legal or illegal? Is it lawful? Well, well, ultimately, you could say it's lawful because once you get someone to legally agree to be a slave, whether they know it or not, it doesn't matter. Well, then it becomes lawful. So they actually lawfully hold the planet right now. They don't want any change. What you, because in order for the people that run the world and, and own the world, uh, by the way, there's no nation states anymore. Uh, all that's a, a, a lie, just like Santa Claus. Um, the people that they had to put into motion with great investment, a tremendous amount of radical change to get it this way. You see, so they don't want any more change once they get to that position. Mm. To get back to the topic, though, I, I do want to contrast a little bit more this idea of the modern scientist and the sort of ancient natural philosopher 
because there exists within academia this imperative to view science as the vehicle that takes mankind towards quote-unquote progress and the things which belong to the past, particularly the pre-17th century traditions, are irrational. And so the implication is that ancient man and even middle-aged man were at best uninformed or at worst stupid because their methods of comprehending the world were unthorough or superstitious. But when I look at the various disciplines within science and I look at what ancient man accomplished, I don't see a lot of modern equivalents. Like, for example, within chemistry, there is no equivalent to the Greek fire. If you look at biology, a lot of the depictions of ancient man, whether it's um, drawings or cave paintings or whatever else, they always look more robust and physically capable than modern man with their biological developments. So my question is that how should a person's understanding of ancient man and civilization be revised in light of that? Uh you had a level of independence, honor, and and uh, uh, other things that were going on back then if you were not a slave. Like, for example, if you have a thousand people in a room, a thousand men in a room, 999 are slave and one is not. How many men are in the room? There's only one. The 999 are not counted as men. They're slaves. Do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, so when they say we the people and let's say the American side or they say for mankind, they you have to specify because if again, if you have one million slaves and two and one million men that are slaves and two that are not, there's only two people in the room. you see so yeah. that's this is I just gave up part of the code when you when you look at your media, your science, your education, whenever you see, oh, that sounds so altruistic for mankind they, when they, they're not talking about you. We're talking about maybe a handful of people on the planet. Yeah, I saw a trailer, by the way, recently on a movie called The Hunt. Someone sent me a link. And, it, and, you know, they're basically hunting people, right? Because it was, you know, hunting boars and deer and, you know, uh, African safaris got, you know, it was not interesting enough. Uh, let's hunt people. So they abducted people and started hunting them was this premise of the story. And they said, but, but you know, you're killing people. And then, you know, one of the prognosticators or whatever, she says, they're not people. Right. That went over everyone's head, mm. of course, because it's not taught how to you people are not taught how to think that way about reality. So when you hear about man, advancing man, even in, in ancient Greece, 99 percent of the population were slave. So, yeah, I don't know about the number, but yes, there was a significant slave population. Given that there isn't, to my knowledge, as a. Uh, a singular corpus of records about ancient inventions or scientific developments, what would you say are some of the um, individual feats that can be singled out as extraordinary from ancient times? Oh, well, it's the same knowledge we have today. They, uh, they understood uh, hydraulics, they understood electricity, not in the way that we have popularized the understanding now. But they, everything that we, we have access to scientifically is, is also uh, was accessed by them uh, w based on uh, the, the uh, their ability to travel and what they had access to. From my understanding of what I've seen, it was very rare to be able to access immediate communication. Like, you know, you and I are in different parts of the world right now. We're having a conversation. Back then, to cover a, a thousand miles, you needed four or five hours. You know, by they used signaling, right, visual signaling to relay messages across the planet. So you could probably get a message across the planet within a day or two, but now it's instant. So within that 
you know, creates a lot of uh, inconvenience when you don't have that rapid ability to go from place to place or communicate from place to place. So it kind of limits to what you have within your own culture or within your own geography. But otherwise, it's pretty much the same. Mm. This thing about, as far as the, the current day existence, I mean, in spite of whatever polemics that you can throw at the current landscape or applications of science and the teachings of academia, like I said before, one does have to contend with the physical reality where we have a fully functioning consumer society that has been erected and it stood pretty robustly for the past 70 years or so. And so we can talk about fake science and the institutions that peddle it. Um, and then the average person will say, well, the consumer existence seems to work so well. And yet you're saying that it's trash, which implies that far beyond this consumer reality that we've been put in, there is a different manifestation of what things could be. Do we have any society throughout history that has given an indication of that, of what that could be if it wasn't, if we weren't peddling fake science? No, there isn't much. Uh, man, man is living in an age, the grand age, I call it, of a um, uh, certain level of apathy. Uh, uh, we're talking about in general sense. Like, I'll give you an example regarding that. Uh, you could speak to any older person now, meaning, you know, white hair and uh, what people consider to be the grandma, grandpa level. And when you bring up anything that of concern for future generations, uh, they always say, there are very few exceptions, I haven't seen much, but uh, they'll always say, well, I, it doesn't matter because I'm not going to be alive in 10 years for that, right? Or 10 years, or I'm not going to be alive then, so it does. I don't care. And these are the people you're going to for wisdom and knowledge, right? So they're telling you, just be apathetic. Do, do you see what I mean? So one of the tools of the age is to instill a, a level of apathy, and that's where the consumerism comes in, for example. Um, and the uh, the aspect of uh, when I say consumerism, by the way, uh, I don't use that term independently. When I say consumerism, I mean planned obsolescence and waste. Right? Um, it's just the sign of the age. You know, let's go back to ancient Greece. You know that you could look at uh, statistics, a fairly good geological and agricultural statistics, and like places like Greece and Italy are 90% deforested over the past 2,000 years. Let me say that again. A lot of these uh, great cultural havens of society, you know, like uh, Western Europe or whatever, are about 90% deforested. I mean, don't, don't you think it would be a concern when you're at about 25% deforested? Meaning, not that it's all forest, but you've lost 25% of your forest and it's not regrowing. You see, and I'm not talking about urban sprawl or developments where people live. I'm talking about just wanton destruction. You know, wh at what point do you, do you, are you at 50% deforestation? Where you say we have to conserve or re, re, you know help regrow it, you know how do you let it get to ninety percent? It just doesn't sound rational, right? So when you look at uh, anything, let's say uh, analogous to to today, uh, this is going off the topic of science, but generally includes it as well. If you took the news of the world today and put it and went back a hundred years, it would stop the entire society and everyone would stop, no matter who you were, and said we have to change right now so these things don't happen in the future because you have gradualism that takes over. And uh, I don't know how many ways or how many times one can say that you're living, if you're hearing this and you're alive, you're living in a society in decline. And so it usually takes anywhere between 50 to 100 years for a society to go into decline, and then another 100 or so for it to pretty much uh, not resemble what it ever did before. So, Just to address that point real quick, because I think that 
the layman would hear what you're saying about people not reacting appropriately to the um, state of distress of the environment or the planet and say, well, isn't that what people are talking about, about climate change? I mean, they're perfectly happy to march in the streets and donate millions of dollars to questionable charities and pontificate in the media about climate change and we need to do something and blah, blah, blah. So there is some kind of outcry against what people perceive as being a threat to the planet, no? The outcry means nothing if you don't uh, give a proposal of how you're going to do it. And just by simply saying, for example, eliminating gasoline cars, it, it, when they say that, for example, you know, automobiles uh, to thwart climate change because the automobile, let's say, is a leading cause of it. Uh, if you go to the manufacturers, let's say, and make suggestions on how to increase efficiency, they don't want to listen. So whenever you see a problem being posed with a very desperate all-or-nothing solution, it's BS, it's propaganda, because nothing works that way. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I'm building a house, I called the lumber company, and they're uh, sending over 2,000 pieces of wood, and I'm going to push this button, and the house will be erected. It doesn't work that way. It's a gradual process to build that house based on a plan. See, that's what they're basically saying. So you know the climate change is baloney, uh, or BS, bovine excrement, because their solution is bovine excrement. So it's all tied in. It's very, it's, it's just how to read the code, you see. Mm. I I think I heard you also once say that um, you made mention in the past of the role of Walt Disney in spreading certain misinformation about scientific concepts because he entrenched those things into the popular imagination through his animations and other media. Can you talk about that sure. a little bit? Well, it wasn't just Walt Disney. There were several film companies uh, from the 30s all the way through the 1970s. There's a whole slew of them, actually. I would say short of 50, maybe. Film companies and production companies to promote everything from, you know, um, uh, how people should get along and uh, uh, to smoking is bad for you to uh, what education and what it means to be a patriot or, you know, uh, yeah, it's the propaganda machine, you know. Um, uh, in place again, just to keep things in place. The, the there hasn't been any real engineering in the scientific field since the 1920s. Eric Dollard says that as well, and uh, I would find that to be uh, uh, pretty true. And, and uh, uh, the evidence of that is all all around you. Just because something is a different color, and you're told that it's new and it has a new shape, it, it's the same um, uh, fallacious. Uh, uh, theory behind that uh, that this is uh, the state of the art, you know, and it is the state of the art from an industrial perspective based on the you know worldview that you know most people have. But uh, from from a uh, what's called science and knowledge, no, it's rubbish. And just to clarify for people, Eric Dollard is a sort of independent inventor type that is popular for recreating Tesla experiments. Um, what is this? Um, where's the evidence for the Disney thing? Like, where do you? Get oh, that? just 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 go online. Go to YouTube. Put in Walt Disney and the atomic model. Big time. A lot of videos on him uh, showing you. Oh, this is the atom. Scientists today use the atom like this. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, that's how it was brought. I read about it uh, as as a critique on uh, maybe about thirty years ago, and then uh, with the advent of YouTube, I, I looked it up, and uh, yep, there it is. I haven't looked at it in maybe a decade, but I'm sure there's something up there about the Walt Disney promoting it. Just like, you know, the Big Bang Theory was uh, promoted and started by a, a Catholic priest, right? Not some, quote-unquote, physicist, scientist.
It, the photon was uh, uh, coined by a, an occult psychi uh, psychologist, not a scientist. These people are desperate, meaning, okay, the people that own the planet are quite happy with the way it is. And they're quite happy with, uh, with the, the cycle of destruction. And, you know, uh, some, someone said, Greek, why would they be? Doesn't it hurt them too? Well, you ever heard of a crazy person who cuts on themselves? Right? You ever heard of anything like that? It's the same thing. So uh, the, the, the interesting aspect here is, like I've always said, set yourself apart from it. Minimize your interaction with the society as much as possible and provide yourself good food, clothing, and shelter. And then you will really learn what real science is about. Yeah, I don't think most people are cut out for that, but there might be a handful that will take that to heart. Um, but let's move on to the second part of, of the podcast, um, which is that um, in order to better crystallize how certain concepts within the various scientific fields have been ignored, I think we should look at various fields of biology, chemistry, and physics and pick out some concepts that if the ruling powers were more honorable and less depraved, we'd have been introduced to those perhaps a bit earlier. So let's start with let, let me. Yeah, I want to interject. Uh, the reason why they seem less honorable is because they're accommodating the people who are no longer honorable. They can be honorable, even though they're sick and whatever you want to call it, you know, mentally deranged from any lawful standard. Uh, you, you could say that they do understand the concept of honor, but it's not promoted within the society because it's a society of human livestock, which is property or slave, whatever you want to call them, chattel, livestock, uh, citizen, whatever. You know, whatever. Pick a term. You know, they're property. And can people be property? Don't be shocked. You know, the answer is yes. No, they, they, they do know and, and they see. Here's the interesting. You know the concept of a test, right? The test, the concept of a test is you pose an individual or someone uh, a, pa a, a, a problem, a question, a statement, and um, you are requiring them or they agreed to require an answer, uh, which is either something they come up with themselves or a choice of multiple uh, other things to, to complete what's called the test. You see, I just laid out what a test is, right? And uh, the, the answer and the reply that's given by the person who's being tested is then measured against uh, certain references or proofs or facts to show how well they did on the test. Everything I just said is exactly how society's been run by those who own it. They always have given the people, you know, the livestock that are currently that status of slave or livestock or citizen or subject or resident or whatever. They have always been given multiple tests over a long period of time and have failed every time. Miserably, not just a little bit. So the state of the condition you have to realize right now might appear um, dishonorable, which it is. It's only because the level of failure sustained by those who are being observed and accommodated has been so high that, you know, how many times have you heard me say they're unrehabilitatable? It's not like someone didn't pass the test, go and teach them again so they can pass, right, or have more favorable results. It's just not possible anymore so and yes there are absolutes in the world and that is one of them so mm. continue i mean yeah mm -hmm. I, my attitude to that has always been like which one is the, the cart and which one is the horse as far as the people degenerating to a point of not being able to be repaired or the leaders that are supposed to be stewarding the situation like one of them has to go first as far as being depraved and 
it's hard to see how the people millions of people become depraved whilst the leadership remains honorable and then suddenly the leadership realizes well they're not honorable anymore so we're not going to be it either there wouldn't be any leadership if it wasn't accommodating the mindset that demanded one uh, the ultimate society in any any society is one of law, where everyone is well versed in it, well known, and uh, and uh, is is uh, carries on their their business and their lives accordingly. And of course, you're going to have glitches and shortcomings, and then there have to be systems in there to to right the wrongs and all that. But the people don't, you know, throughout history don't want that, right? It's very simple. You know, if you have a thousand page book, if you just read uh, three pages a day, which is not much to ask for. And if you skip a day, it's six pages the next day. OK, but just read three pages a day consistently. You'll go through it in a year. Right. So if you read 10 pages a day. You could do three 1000 page books roughly. Right. So what I'm alluding to are various laws of countries. And it, it, this is I'm actually pointing this towards doctors and especially attorneys. Shame on the attorneys, all of them, not some of them. They don't know any law at all. They know some, some, S-O-M-E, a little bit of some court procedure, but they don't know any law at all, other than what they consider as knowing as law, what they see on TV. Their university doesn't teach any law, never did, never will. And shame on them for not knowing the laws, right, of, their, of, the, agent, of the particular corporate body or sovereign state that they supposedly have allegiance to, right? If you look at the American codes, the French codes, the British codes, none of the attorneys know any of them at all. And they, they, they have the appearance that they do, which is a, another thing. The same thing with the scientists, the same thing with the priest. Ask him anything out of the Bible. He'll give you one or two verses out of context. doesn't matter if they're a Jewish rabbi, a Catholic priest, or a Baptist minister, or an imam, or whatever out of Islam. There's, there's this phenomenon that the, lead, the people demand an ignorant leadership because if the leadership wasn't ignorant, they wouldn't be their leaders because they would look at the people and say, these people are repugnant. Why would I want to lead them? So it's a very, very interesting situation. Again, from the beginning, I said you cannot discern the difference between the current state of the topic with the political or power nature of, you know, the nature of the culture in the society. They go hand in hand. Hmm. I think it's probably going to be worth dedicating one episode to sort of looking at that dynamic, um, perhaps the failure of society in that way. Um, but just so that we don't run out of time, let's let's start with uh, looking at biology. Um, I think the most talked about biological concept that the Greek has um, elaborated on in the past is that of the biological vacuum. You've talked about before how blood wouldn't be able to flow the way it does within the circulatory system without um, that vacuum and that conventional physics doesn't provide an explanation for how 40 liters of bodily fluid doesn't accumulate in the lower extremities of the body, which is what should happen um, in a fleshy container with liquids. Um, how is it that 100 years plus of medical practice doesn't address that, and can you break it down a bit more? Oh, it's the same year, same as of any subject. How can 100 years of, of political practice, religious practice, legal practice, uh, any practice not show, show that it's deficient? Right. Uh, religious practice, for example, the Christians have been around for over a thousand years and uh, not one of them uh, bothers to check and say, uh, let's see what the Bible says about it. Right. Same thing with the human body. Right. 
uh, go ahead and uh, mimic a model of the human body and put a you're going to need about 1200 horsepower pump to move the body to move uh, that amount of fluid uh, at that temperature with dissolved solids and semi-dissolved solids through 2,500 miles or 4,000 kilometers of blood vessels, uh, average millime uh, millimeter in diameter. It's ridiculous. And I found out, you know, the, what was it, the National Socialist Party, Goebbels or Hitler, uh, Goebbels said, if you make a lie, it has to be a big lie, because if it's such a big lie, no one will question it, you see. So they have blood pressure, you know. I, I always ask uh, doctors. I even have uh, private calls with uh, people that are surgeons with 30 years' experience. And they ask me the funniest question, like, well, come on, Greg, I heard you say there's no blood pressure. Uh, well, you know, I, I can't get that around my head. I said, you better not. <laughs> you better not get that around your head. You'll be thrown out on your ass. Of course there isn't, right? So. Well, let's let's break that down then, so... Blood pressure is this positive pressure allegedly that exists within impossible. the body that moves the blood. Right. It's, phys it's physically impossible. That's right. And the more physically impossible and the bigger the lie, the more people will believe it. Okay. So humor me, Greek. Why is it impossible? Because uh, you can't move uh, uh, the, the blood at that temperature with almost 40% dissolved solids and semi-dissolved solids through... Um, the average blood vessel at one and a half millimeters in the body, 4,000 kilometers long, you cannot move it. It's just impossible. It will not happen ever. And any, and any experiment, whether it's, uh, and here's the interesting thing. When they try to view, uh, how do they view biological uh, functioning? Through things that are dead. That's kind of like having a institute to study uh, the development of automobiles and you only go to scrapyards where they've compacted damaged cars. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, so, in the sense that they, they cut open dead bodies and mostly do experimentation. Yeah, uh, when, when the body dies, it collapses and it goes into chemical decomposition immediately. Immediately. Once uh, the, there's the onset of of not clinical death, but real death, where you don't come back, right? So the, 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 everything is a fiction, right? And it's a fiction overlap, just like when you lay down in bed uh, to sleep, you, you, what do you put over your body, right? Even in hot weather, it, it, you, you feel you still want to cover yourself with something, right? And just because you covered yourself, it doesn't mean you're not there. You're still there. It's just that you rest a little more comfortably. So what they've done and what is the people have accommodated, have been accommodated by is that everything and anything that they think about is, has a layer of fiction over it. And that's what they look at. An example, someone laying down uh, in their sleeping quarters, when you walk in, you usually uh, look inside the room and you come back out and you say they're asleep. Well, you don't really see them sleeping. You usually see a lump on the bed with a sheet over it, typically. Right. You don't go and examine the person too much. That's the most typical viewpoint of someone sleeping. And when you look at people in the society, whether it's the scientific field or any field, they, what you will see is a layer of fiction covering them. And uh, in big letters, it says whatever that fiction happens to be, science, religion, politics, whatever. It's just a layer of fiction covering the reality. Now, here's the interesting thing. Just like when you see someone covered in their sleeping quarters on a bed, you don't see them, you just see the covering. Uh, what happens is um, uh, you can you you, you don't uh, define the person by the covering, but you sure act and change your behavior because of it. 
might be a little quieter, right? Just like, for example, if you discover that everything in the medical field is a fiction, just like everything in the political or legal or religious field is a fiction, it might be best not to make a lot of noise and wake up the slumbering masses. And because the slumbering masses don't act on themselves, they act through third party. They're going to call what they consider an authority figure and complain about you. Do you see my point? Yes. So, so that layer of that blanket of fiction should not be disturbed um, until you understand to read the signs of a society. And even if you did, it's not until after they are gone, meaning they are no longer in existence, their structures, their society, their culture, then you can come out and restructure and rebuild. There is no such thing as revolution or change that is effective in this type of society that you're existing in now. You know, if you said Greek, we're going to reduce the population of the planet down to 10 people or 100 people or 10,000 people, and there are no attorneys, no doctors, no priests, no rabbis, no, right? no scientists, you might have a chance, right? But if you reduce the population down to less than 100 people and you had an attorney in there, a priest, a rabbi, you're screwed. You're going to be in, in 200 years, you'll be back to a, a population of a billion morons or 7 billion morons like you have today. You cannot bring anything forward. It's called contamination. There's a, an old book that says, you know, a small amount of yeast, you know, leavens the entire lump. Right. You're not, I'm talking about all of it being yeast right now. But what we're trying to do, or at least what I'm trying to do, is to sort of relieve uh, some of the stink of this bad science by looking at certain particular aspects. And if we could accomplish nothing else but sheds a little bit more light on the biological vacuum, that'd be great. It just happens to be that living things are in a container. We typically don't, we typically define living things, you know, insect, animal, fauna, you know, plant, fauna, flora, right, human, you know, mammal, reptile, you know, all the various things that we consider alive down to bacteria. They happen to be in a container of some sort, an outer skin of sorts, and uh, sometimes that skin acts as a skeleton structural as well. Uh, the internal is always slightly, the internal uh, volume of the container is always in a slightly less pressure than the environment, always. So questioning that is not the point. Saying why does it have to be the way uh, that way might be a better question. Why do we have to have an, an internal vacuum? And that is quickly alluded to once you have the rational, uh, several rational answers to that. Well, because everything else does, right? So let's just not, let's just bypass that. Because everything, that's a, a, something that's common in all things that are alive. If everything that we perceive as being living, it has a slightly less pressure internally than externally. And then if you ask why it, that is so, that, that's not necessarily as important as how it's performed. Because bypass, because they all do anyway, you see. So now how is the biological vacuum maintained? Now there's where your, your research starts. Not that there is a biological vacuum and why it's there. No, no, it's like, how is it maintained? Because now when you start to look in that, from that posture and you lean on how to create the biological vacuum, now you start to get into um, invariably, directly, and positively or negatively affecting all living things regardless, right? And you will find that that negative, if you continue on this thought, 
that internal vacuum that is maintained by all things that are living is not a physical, there is no physical um, component to it. It is a field manifestation. It is a certain signature that you find, in all, yes, in all living things, but it is not a material component itself. Yes, all the material components experience, let's say, that effect, but that effect is not a material. It is a byproduct of other things. So let's just stop the thought right there, because very often people will say, will question, well, prove to me that water, you know, is wet. Well, then you might say, well, you know, <laughs> why is it wet? That's not important either. Is how do things become wet? That you can use, you see? Yes, I follow you. Um, who, I'll just wrap up the vacuum thing. Who is the most responsible for furthering research and publications about the biological vacuum for people that want to look it up? No one. There hasn't been anything done since Victor Schauberger in the 1930s. Be because it's too obvious. How many books are there about the sky being blue? And actually, they, no one knows. They say they, Actually, I had spoken to a graduate student in uh, some of the scientific fields. They said, why is the sky blue? He said, well, they told me because it's, it's a reflection of the oceans, my professor said. <laughs> right? Yeah, they told it, me it, that too. It, yeah, it's just the stupidest, you know. It, that you're being pranked as a race, uh, as as humans on the planet. You're being, I don't know if people really understand the, the, the gravity or the gravitas of what I just said. It's all a prank. It's all a prank. Uh, all of the professors are only there because they get a paycheck and they don't even know that there's no money. It, it, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing. Now, there, that doesn't mean that there isn't any real research going on in someone's kitchen or backyard or closet or garage or, you know, a, a small a group of people that are, uh, you know, small meaning less than three. That's going on, but it doesn't advance and most people don't know about it, even with the Internet, is because it's quickly nipped at the bud. You, you will get, if you put a YouTube up of a machine running on its own in a, in a way that it hasn't been already, you will have a knock on the door from the FBI and Homeland Security in America, no matter where you are within 24 to 72 hours. And they'll send a bunch of guys there with an IQ of like a doorknob, and they'll just tell you, well, you shouldn't be doing this because it's bad for the financial system of the United States. That's what they always say. This is detrimental to the financial system of the United States. That's the, the, the pat line. Hmm. Well, sounds like somebody knows that for a fact. Yeah, there are plenty of people that know that for a fact, but, you know, it's not a very well-known fact. Hmm. Let's um, also touch on chemistry. So um, the apex of myth of what's possible within chemistry broaches on the work of alchemists where transmutation is the p most prominent practice. And I think at the lower end of the scale of that lore, you have changing metal to gold, which the Greek has said before isn't even that extraordinary. And then at the higher level of that scale, I guess, might be the ability to make a substance cycle through various elements within the periodic table. Can you talk about how transmutation actually works and how it's been sort of ignored? Sure, just for the sake of time and just familiarity, I had a conversation, a short conversation with someone less than an hour ago. Uh, actually, yes, I had turned on the television. It was a, night, a show, it was a recording of something from 40 years ago, and it was a discussion of your bones getting calcium. And I just laughed and looked at the other person and said, well, you, you, taking calcium doesn't, does not mean that you're going to get calcium because you need magnesium for the body to create calcium. You know, if you if you uh, are you're told by one of these medical quacks uh, that you you're low in potassium, you don't take potassium for the body to be enriched in potassium. You take um, sodium based minerals. 
right? It, so if you need iron in your body, you don't, if you have an iron deficiency, you don't take iron supplements, you take calcium supplements <laughs> because the body transmutes these other elements into the element that you need. And this was uh, the Louis Kevron, K-E-V-R-A-N, was laughed at, off the planet when he had proven this. So there's your simple chemistry. How did he uh, prove that these things? Cognitively, very simple. You know, they took, uh, uh, you know, chickens are known for producing robust uh, calcium-based uh, cal uh, calcium eggshells. You know, eggs with sh that are hard, robust calcium, high ca calcium content. Because what if we stopped feeding... Uh, 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 the chickens anything that had calcium in it would they still produce eggs and yes they did plenty of calcium and they had no bone loss or anything like that he also did an experiment I had happened to have met one of the people that participated in the experiment from Morocco uh, that the body produces potassium from salt there was a French military was in Morocco uh, building ref uh, oil wells and refineries and uh, the person that I had met that had done that, he developed a four-way screw, but that's another situation. He remembered uh, the French being there doing experimentation. They had the people eat very little food and uh, um, take no sodium in their diet and work in the hot desert sweating a lot. And they all had potassium deficiencies. And once they started receiving uh, 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 sodium supplements, their potassium went sky high in their body, but the sodium didn't. So the body produces potassium when you're working and taking sodium. And there's many more experiments he did with plants and animals and people. Mm. And he was laughed. When he had brought all of his studies, life, work to the university, they, they laughed at him and they gave him a biology 101 textbook and they told him to go read that. These people, uh, you cannot, in other words, there will be no change as long as you go outside your door and you see people. Right. This is an anomaly. All of Greek speak is anomalous to this society. It is, it is not uh, for this society. It is to them, but it's not for them. It's towards them. Hmm. Yes, I feel like that's probably been the most recurring point of this stream. <laughs> um, just uh, to touch lastly on the transmutation thing. So you're saying it's something that actually occurs in the human body, but the scientific establishment would profess otherwise and say that, well, you get nutrition by digestion and uh, absorption. There's no such thing either. You could, anyone could go uh, look up on the what they call the internet, look up a uh, profile section of the intestine. You have an animal or human, don't look gory stuff, but the stuff they show in anatomy, which is pretty accurate, actually. And you'll see there, you have the lumina, you know, the opening in the middle of the intestine and the, and the hydrophobic, completely sealed inner wall. How does anything go through that? There's no absorption. It's all done by induction. You know, and this is not, the misdirection is so pathetically obvious. Again, make the lie so big that no one will question it. Because if you tell a little lie, people will question it. You know, and if you go to a scientist, again, these people are pathetic, and the doctors, and all of them. Now, there, there's always, I always give uh, the, the reality of it, because these statements sound absolute, which are true. But the footnote here is, whether you're talking about a priest, an attorney, a doctor, a politician, they're all ignorant or evil, every single one of them. You, you, what you do is you, um, you give a leeway of two weeks to six months. Right. That's your only exception. What I mean by that is, let's say you want to be a, a scientist, politician, attorney or priest. You altruistic. Yeah, I want to do this field because it helps mankind. Right. They don't even know what that means. 
So they go into the field and they see that it's all corruption. It's co so they're like, holy crap, what the hell did I get myself into? Uh, I, made, I wanted to make this my life's work. I just screwed myself. So they have two weeks to six months to find something else to do. And they get out of the field. Whenever you run into someone who says, I used to be an attorney or I used to be a doctor, used to be a priest, those are the most interesting people. They, and they usually keep their mouth shut because if they ever voice to the higher authorities that they're leaving because of this situation, they're told not to speak about it or else. Like, you know, they have a long arm and they could get to them if they make a fuss about it. You see my point? Yeah. So the ones that, re that stay in, in uh, the legal field, the religious fields, the scientific fields, the medical fields are pretty evil. They know that it's all corruption and they're doing it because they like the control or they're pretty ignorant. They're dumb as a bell or dumb as a doorknob and they don't care. Right. So when we say something like scientist or lawyer or doctor or priest or whatever, you should be thinking of yourself in that position because those that occupy those positions today are pretty worthless. At least the ones that are stand-ins or have been deeply entrenched. In other words, the, the, the social meaning to these things that I just mentioned is very high, but the actual reality of them is, is they're doing the opposite of what they should be doing. Because of a, uh, not, it's not only because it's a, a society that's controlled by industry or industry controls society, but it's because it's a society in decline, a severe decline. But because of gradualism, the existing denizens, inhabitants, or slaves, or cattle, however you want to put it, they don't realize it. No, I understand what you mean. All right. Um, so I think we've talked for quite a bit and it's about time to wrap things up i'm just going to end off with sort of one last uh thing that i think is good to conclude with perhaps of a more metaphysical nature uh it's a central one to the nature of human existence if you subscribe to the idea that it's all not just material what can be said about the question of human consciousness and where it originates because on one hand you have the convention that claims it is generated in the brain but i'm seeing more and more talk online that that's not the case, but no concrete explanations are being given. Well, it's it's a field. Which is, they're, they're, it's a perturbation in the field. A perturbation would be just like when a drummer hits the skin of the drum with his, with his hand or a stick or dropping a, a stone in a still pond. These are very fine perturbations. And it's just like uh, there there's a light spectrum. The human visible light spectrum is very, very small compared to what can be measured. Right. I mean, it goes all the way from infrared to gamma uh, to ultraviolet, all the way up to gamma and X-ray. Right. And there's even beyond that. And the, and the rays, these are waves again, which are perturbations. The, 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 the perturbations in, let's say, the ether or uh, that happen that are is human consciousness have not been uh, at least popularly uh, known to be measured and uh, used. There is plenty of information about how it could be manipulated chemically and you know electromagnetically and other ways but uh, the exactness of it has not been made public and uh, you know anytime there's a thought there's a perturbation in the ether let's say your thoughts are perturbations of the ether and it's two-way three-way four-way you know there's group you know the, the uh, perturbations singular per perturbations there's frequencies right you know how each device has its own frequency let's say 
You know, here's a, a way to think about consciousness and how it's being when what 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 consciousness is is important. But it, what's even more important than that for anyone hearing this in contemporary times is how it's being manipulated, right? So, like, if someone comes in to your house where you are to threaten your life and presents a, a weapon to do so, do you say, "Well, how did he get here," or do you say to yourself? You know, I, I don't want to be subject to this because, you know, it doesn't matter how he got into your house to threaten you, let's say, with a knife or a gun. It's what are you going to do now that he's here threatening you with a knife and a gun, you see? So the, th the real aspect of consciousness is how it's being manipulated. And since we spoke about science and before we sign off, uh, you, you and I perhaps had a conversation about, uh, you know, how they used to, uh, well, cult popular culture shows that ancients were ignorant, right? that they were stupid and we're not now but you know the popular culture has also shown futurism especially more in the past they don't show futurism anymore for for many reasons which we've gone into uh but uh when they did show futurism how society would be in the future you notice they never said that the people of the future will be more intelligent that's true that never is said that is never said because it's all con uh, control uh, uh of your consciousness propaganda again it's not what something is or where it comes from, but what is it doing to you right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think that we've given um, a good effort to the podcast, and um, that will conclude our talks about science. And um, unless there's any final concluding thoughts, then um, I think we're good. Well, I think the conclusion can conclude itself. Thanks. All right. Well, um, thank you to everybody for tuning into this episode, and we will be back with another one. Hopefully within a week or two, and uh, thanks again for listening. Bye.